Welcome to Museum Chat Live, a fairly regular podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center. We're bringing you all things to do with St. Catharines, our history, and what's going on at our museum. Today, you're listening to Sarah Nixon, public programmer here at the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center. And Adrian Petrie, visitor services coordinator here at the St. Catharines Museum. Our community is filled with diverse stories, and we recognize that our story begins with the Indigenous peoples of this land. We acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on lands that have been inhabited by Indigenous peoples for millennia, and we would like to honor the centuries of Indigenous peoples who walked on Turtle Island before us. On today's episode of Museum Chat Live, Adrian and I are revisiting our virtual lecture from the museum's virtual museum lecture series back in November 2020. The lecture focused on the Howe Report, or using its proper name, The Refugees from Slavery in Canada West, a report to the Freedmen's Inquiry Commission, written by Dr. Samuel Gridley Howe after his visit to St. Catharines in 1863 to report on the condition of refugee freedom seekers to Congress. Our lecture covered difficult and layered historical topics, including the Civil War and Reconstruction and racism and racialism. But most of all, the lecture featured the first-hand primary source interview transcripts that were recorded during Howe's visit to St. Catharines. The interviews reveal a lot about racist attitudes of the predominantly white and English community towards people of color and other non-English immigrants like the Irish, how interviewed refugees and prominent businessmen, and the picture that both the report and the interviews draw of life in St. Catharines is fascinating, troubling, and something for us all to include in our understanding of the past. Of course, a 60... Okay, I mean 70, okay, 80 minute lecture wasn't quite enough time to both deliver the history and the findings of the report and also talk about the interviews themselves. So Sarah and I are revisiting the topic to chat further about the significance of the report in our understanding of our city's past. But first, it is Black History Month and we have a number of other virtual programs lined up to celebrate and share our community's local Black history. At the time of this episode's release, we will have already kicked off the winter series of our virtual museum lectures. Local historian and advocate Rochelle Bush joined us to delve into the many abolitionists who visited St. Catharines during the long and difficult fight for emancipation. You can find that recording of her talk on our YouTube channel. And next up in the lecture series, I will be streaming live on Tuesday, February 16th at 7 p.m. to explore the myths of the Underground Railroad and the challenges of interpreting such highly mythologized history in a museum setting. You can register for our museum lecture series by emailing museum at stcatharines.ca. We will also be offering two virtual tours of our award-winning Follow the North Star exhibit. We'll guide remote audiences virtually through the galleries and delve into the rich legacy of Niagara's Black community. 
Stories will include Black United Empire loyalist Richard Pierpoint and the Colored Corps, St. Catherine's role as a terminus in the Underground Railroad, the growth of Color Town, and of course, one of our city's most famous residents, Harriet Tubman, as well as many other stories. You can either join us on Facebook Live on Thursday, February 11th at 10.30 a.m. or on our YouTube channel on Sunday, February 21st at 4.30 p.m. You can find all the details and how to register on our website. Okay, so we have a whole bunch of topics to talk about. And what, actually, Sarah, why don't we just kind of briefly outline some of the things that we're going to talk about today's podcast. Some of them are related to the audience's reaction to the report and the lecture themselves. And then some of them are related to our reaction to the report and then our reaction to the audience's reaction and some of the additional sort of historical ideas that came up from, you know, discussions between uh, when the lecture came out and when we delivered the lecture and today. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as you've had a couple months to kind of sit on this this new research, there's definitely more that's come out of it. And, and I'd like to just kind of start off right away with one of the most one of the testimonies that struck me the most, and that was from St. Catherine's town clerk, C.P. Camp. So let's have a listen to what he had to say. The colored people get on very poorly. They steal our sheep, our chickens, and everything else. They are a curse to any country. I wish they were all back south for my part. They are a lazy set, especially the young men. We have to support them while they live and bury them when they die. We have some Irish laborers. I don't know that the colored people are any worse than the Irish are. At the same time that St. Catharines was boosted as the promised land for freedom seekers, a very active terminus on the Underground Railroad, many members of the white community shared the racist views held by camp. Abolitionism here coexisted here with racism. So often, the Black history narrative in this city is filled with pride that Harriet Tubman was stationed here during the 1850s and played an active role in our community. However, while Harriet Tubman was living in St. Catharines, our community also barred Black people from certain employment opportunities and segregated school children into separate classrooms run by substandard teachers with fewer resources. And I think a testimony that showcases this is that of J.W. Lindsay, a former slave. So let's listen to that as well. Quote, I find prejudice here the same as in the States. In this country, they will treat us with having been in slavery. They take hold of it as a handle to throw their stigmas upon us. We may have the best team in the world and the best means in the world to carry on business, but unless we can make business within ourselves, such as gardening or something of that kind, we cannot get anything to do. Here are our children that we think as much as white people think of theirs and want them elevated and educated. But although I have been here for 30 years, I have never seen a scholar made here amongst the colored people. There are two railroads. There is a canal where there are about 300 hands employed and you won't see a colored face at either of them. 
the white folks don't give them a chance at all. I have asked the authorities there, what are you going to do with the colored people? What will become of them? What kind of citizens will they make? You will only make paupers and culprits of them. Adrian, what are your thoughts on how abolitionism and racism coexisted in St. Catharines at the same time? There's a whole bunch to unpack here because it's not just the the factual history that from like the year 1863 or 1864 that we're looking at here. There's a whole bunch of extra history that fits, It's all, which is still factual, obviously, but fits in between then and now that kind of complicates our understanding and our acceptance even of this idea that St. Catharines was uh, a refuge for freedom seekers, that uh, St. Catharines attracted a number of abolitionists, including Benjamin Drew, William, William Wells Brown, um, others came and spoke, and Rochelle will deal, detail those in her lecture. And then also many in the community held racist views. And in fact, many in the community and that, that which are seen in the testimony in the Howe Report and in Benjamin Drew's work held racist views even though they believed in the emancipation of slaves. I think those two things together are really complicated and it takes the narrative that we're used to hearing of Canada as a safe haven or a promised land, as you mentioned, for freedom seekers as a wonderful, beautiful place. The promised land brings to mind a particular image about Canada in the time. And then we take that and compare that to the experience of black people in or, or freedom seekers in the United States. And it's like, you know, awful and terrible. Um, and we use that division to sort of make ourselves feel better about the racism and even slavery before emancipation that black people experience in Canada. And we can see a little bit of that in a other history, especially in the history of the Black experience in St. Catharines in the 20th century, in the Charles Summers case. Uh, Charles Summers was uh, a Black man who was effectively evicted from his uh, apartment because of the color of his skin. And after he went to City Council to have something done about this, Council rightly said that it wasn't a municipal issue, it was a provincial issue, which it was, but to go along with their decision in basically doing nothing to help Summers, the councillors and the mayor all said that uh, racism doesn't exist in St. Catharines. It wasn't, it couldn't have been a racist thing, it must have been something else. And so they kind of, in that case, it's well documented in their decision to sort of um, send it to the province, that it wasn't just a sort of jurisdictional issue or argument, but it was also a societal argument that there's, that as Canadians and as St. Catharines people were better than that. And the experience of, of Charles Summers was kind of diminished until the province actually uh, brought into legislation and law, the Fair Accommodations Practices Act. I think what the Charles Summers case describes is that that the racism that was detailed in the Howe report definitely wasn't isolated to a generation or to a particular sort of segment of the community. It was widespread, it was systemic, and and it impacted the 
telling of that narrative into the future 100 years later. I think the biggest challenge and one of the biggest reactions was the amount of racism that was detailed in the report and in the transcripts of the interview in that how could how is it even possible for someone to believe in emancipation but also believe the racist things that they believed speaking to the second thing that you mentioned which was the employment opportunities for uh, freedom seekers arriving in st catharines or or living in st catharines um, stevenson was probably one of the longest interview transcripts out of the out of the set of interviews this is Eliza Stevenson, who is the proprietor of the Stevenson House Hotel, one of the biggest tourist tourist attractions in the city. It's kind of interesting because in his interview, he mentioned that he preferred to have refugees or, or black people or freedom seekers as employees because of a number of factors. And maybe we can listen to that that testimony here. As a body, the colored people are very tidy and cleanly. They are not a quarrelsome, they are not a quarrelsome, but good-natured people and very temperate as a body. I think the country would be worse off if they were all taken away. We want them here very much. I employ 50 through the summer. I prefer them to the Irish, as you can tell, or I would not employ them. I understand the character of the Negro pretty well and have uh, and to have a Negro do to suit you, you have got to make allowances. If you want to send a Negro on an errand or on two or three errands, he will bungle half of them unless you are very careful to teach him all you want done. And it is just so with an Irishman. But if you take time enough and make a Negro understand what you want done, he will be sure to do it. So you can see Leigh Stevenson, you know, regarded the black population as one. And I think what's really interesting is that the reaction to Stevenson's sort of uh, racist views, or let's say casually racist views, were that uh, were a little bit less, you know, it's like, oh, it's not that surprising to hear that kind of language about black people or the black experience. Um especially of freedom seekers looking for sort of domestic work or work that they would have maybe performed as slaves in the United States. Uh, when they came to Canada, they can sort of like Stevenson's idea was like, oh, well, they're really, all of them are good at this particular work because of their slavery or their time in slavery. And I think what that casual sort of racism does is it strips the black people who lived here from of their identity. So instead of just hiring people based on their skills as a person, uh, often the it often as it as detailed in Stevenson's interview, black people were preferred to others like Irish people because of their past as slaves, and it just kind of like kind of holds them in servitude almost um, by stripping them their uh, stripping them of their identity. Mm-hmm. And I, and I liked what you said there about how that kind of binds the freedom seekers in St. Catharines into a certain identity that they can't seem to escape from even when they're here, right? The the settle the freedom seekers who settled in St. Catharines uh, were I their identity was all around the color of their skin. Um, and there are lots of instances of, you know, barriers in employment like we talked about, uh, but also where they lived as well. If you were black, you likely lived in Colored Town, a segregated community just outside of St. Catharines, um, because 
of the color of your skin and there's these very invisible barriers and subtle yes yes subtle is such a good word for it too and that's the struggle that i that i I have with reading the how report is the subtleties in which the people coming to saint catherine's for this free life were almost still bound in like invisible chains in a way uh, because of the assumptions that were made about them a lot of the testimonies from uh, members of the white community and again like you said earlier they're they're mostly uh, you know these prominent successful businessmen and other uh, of the, some of the other white community members are of a certain status and uh, they make these wide sweeping stereotypes of the black community um, because of their legacy as slaves and there's a certain image that's put around them as refugees and as victims and that really takes away from the agency that these people had when they lived when they came to St. Catharines and I, I think that's something worth bringing up too is when we have this narrative of the Underground Railroad that we talk about today and is romanticized, lots of myths around it, uh, but it also is so exciting that we often, it often overshadows the the actual narratives, the actual experiences of the people who were using the Underground Railroad to find freedom. Um, and it takes away their agency too. Like sometimes that narrative forgets that these people were risking their lives to find freedom in Canada. They got to Canada, they got to St. Catharines, and then had to put the work in to rebuild their lives once they got here. Um, And yes, they had help from, um, you know, abolitionist societies and other people who had access to lots of resources, but as we see through the testimony, um, because of the subtle racism and discrimination in the city, um, they really had to rely on themselves to build a life here. And we see that with, you know, building churches and building community hubs and um, and helping new freedom seekers once they came to the city. Uh, these are all acts of agency that we often overlook when we talk about the exciting story of the Underground Railroad. I think the report is most saturated with the stereotypes that go along with being a black person or the black experience in St. Catharines that's found in the report. There's two kind of types of stereotype, I guess. One could be described as Victorian science and another, the other, I guess, could just be described as societal uh, stereotypes. So just what, what we were kind of talking about with Stevenson and some of the others that just societal beliefs or societal stereotypes that were held by members of the community. And that, and speaking of agency, that includes black people themselves who, you know, may still have trauma left from uh, slavery and they believe some of the things that they're told about themselves, that they're, that they are incapable, that uh, they aren't worth the opportunity or that they are excellent at specific uh, menial tasks, but they aren't capable of doing you know, more, you know, tasks that are designated, at least in the 1860s, for white people. I think the other thing that strips agency of uh, freedom seekers in St. Catharines in 1863 was the racialized science uh, that was behind the practice of medicine in the 1860s and later. And by far, this was the most 
I guess, shocking or the, the information that gathered garnered the most reaction from the audience, I think, because it seemed so scientific and, you know, prominent members of the community believed and practiced medicine this way. So here's Dr. Mack's testimony as it appeared in the report. It strikes me that the mixed races are the most unhealthy and the pure blacks the least so. The disease they suffer most from is pulmonary, more than general tubercular, and where this is not real tubercular affection of the lungs, there are bronchitis and pulmonary affections. I have the idea that they die out when mixed and that this climate will completely efface them. I think the pure blacks will live. I have come to this conclusion not from any statistics, but from personal observation. I know A, B, and C are mulattoes, and they are unhealthy. And I know pure blacks who do not suffer from disease and recover from smallpox and skin diseases and yellow fever, which are very fatal to mulattoes. I think there's a great deal of strumus diathesis developed in the mixed race and produced by a change of climate. Dr. Mack uh, particularly describes the study of uh, black people and uh, mixed race people in ways that are have been scientifically debunked since, but that are really challenging uh, for us to hear, I think, about Dr. Mack, that Dr. Mack held these views. And that's, even though they were commonplace across Victorian society, and this is a medical community that, you know, science should be used in the quotes, like they were just kind of discovering things about uh, cells and viruses and how things actually worked. And so, it's difficult to sort of rectify the scientific beliefs that he held and then the impact that those racialized views in medicine and practiced medicine had on the community. And I think the biggest thing is that it really feels like anyway, from the report and from Dr. Mack's testimony, that, uh, that refugees in particular, especially refugees, were stripped of their personhood, that they became sort of just, well, black people, can't survive in Canada because of the color of their skin and their ability to deal with the climate and their sort of the inherent sort of pre-existing conditions of their uh, their lungs that their lungs wouldn't aren't capable of dealing with uh, the strenuous conditions of a Canadian winter and that they're more susceptible to particular diseases like tuberculosis and that they aren't capable of survival and that therefore perhaps they shouldn't stay here. So I think now is a good time to listen to some great testimony from George Ross, who provides a little bit more of a realistic view about how refugees dealt with harsh Canadian winters. And another from St. Catharines, George Ross, the head waiter at Stevenson House, quote, I had always heard that Canada was a very cold country, and this is mine and Sarah's favorite quote, that no, <clears throat> I had always heard that, a, that Canada was a very cold country, that nobody could live in but those brought up in it. But I had come to the conclusion that if any human being could live in a cold country, I could live there. I just considered that a man must clothe himself according to the weather. I had sense enough for that. And so when I came to Canada, which was in cold weather, I clothed myself very well. That's the whole, I put on a sweater. <laughs> the overall impact of that kind of uh, 
racialized medicine, not only does it strip agency, but it has a huge impact. These views have a huge impact on the history of the world. And they're being practiced. I think this is the shocking part, right? That they're being practiced in St. Catharines by one of our most, one of the most prominent doctors in the province, in the province's history. And so that, that sheds, I think, further light on the idea that we have more work to do in challenging the fun or happy narratives of the black experience in St. Catharines. And that that's all fueled by things like the adventure stories of the Underground Railroad or the fact, you know, that we were a welcoming community to so many refugees at the time. Absolutely. Throughout the report and throughout the testimonies of the refugees interviewed, they acknowledged the discrimination they experienced. And still knowing that, they said multiple times throughout the report how that's just how important freedom was. And they were willing to experience those acts of discrimination, no matter how subtle, because they were free here. And I really want to emphasize again that they thrived within their community. They worked together to, you know, build churches again, like the BME Church or the Zion Baptist Church. They ran the churches and worked together and supported one another. And that's where their success came from. Let's revisit the testimony of Henry Gibson, who was a black gardener who had been living in St. Catharines for about seven years at the time of the report. The colored people are generally doing pretty well. A good many of them pay taxes. They make a pretty good living. There are two charitable societies here for helping poor colored people, but I don't belong to either of them. The principal part of the people here are able to take care of themselves without coming upon charity. They are like other people. I think it's a really great testimony to include because it shows sort of the uh, the two sides, I guess, of the experience that m- most freedom seekers would have. You know, some people get along with the climate pretty well and some people don't. And some people can hold a job and some people can't, basically just like everyone else. And I think what that says is that instead of, you know, wrapping all the refugees into one category, we needed to treat individuals as individuals and not treat them with racism or racialism like so many of the other testimonies do so i think what what understanding the depth of the how report the interviews and the black experience in the 1860s in st catharines does is helps us to deal with the narrative that we have now which is sort of one-sided as we mentioned uh, or at least not deep enough and it helps us to tell that narrative in a more in more depth Uh, with more understanding, with more clarity and historical accuracy, but most of all, I think with more empathy, considering all of these things can really help us move forward together. That's it for this episode of Museum Chat Live. Make sure to check out the full lecture on our YouTube channel, St. Catherine's Museum. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel and register for upcoming lectures by emailing us at museum at Make sure to also subscribe to Museum Chat Live and the museum's other podcast, One Hour in the Past, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. 
Museum Chat Live is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Wellington Health Center and the City of St. Catharines. Thank <laughs> you.